Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you just tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is a place where I talk about the relationships that we have with ourselves and our bodies. On this week's episode, I interviewed Tori Douglas about so many things. Tori is someone who I admire a lot. I've recently been reading up a lot on her work, and she writes and talks about and creates so many important things that we can all learn from. She is the creator and founder of White Homework, which is something that I have recently begun to get really interested in. So we talk about that a little bit at the end, but I highly recommend looking into that after listening to this podcast and checking out her work. But on today's episode, Tori and I go into a lot about purity culture, body positivity, sexuality, rape culture, victim blaming, being an exhibitionist, what that means politics, what it's like being a mom, trying to be body positive, and what that looks like raising kids, faith and church deconstruction. We talk about so many really important topics, and I had a ton of fun and learned a lot, so I hope that you do too. But yeah, enjoy. If you enjoy the Unity Project podcast and you want to get more involved and support me in this process, then go to patreon.com slash JackieGTV. That is a place where you can read all about what I'm doing, all about why, all the things, and pledge as little as $1 a month and become a part of the Unity Project family and be a big reason of why I get to do this and have these conversations. If you want to support me in any other ways, then you can go ahead and pick up a copy of my book, Finding Home. That book shares my story of this, of learning what belonging means, learning what home means. I traveled around the country, moved around quite a bit trying to figure that out, only to realize that the home I was looking for was was one within myself. So if either of those things interest you, go to patreon.com slash JackieGTV or go to JackieGronland.com for my book. All this information is in the show notes below. Thank you and enjoy. are you doing over there? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing okay. Given yeah. everything, given the state of the world, like I'm doing okay. Oh my god. Yesterday, my nervous system was freaking out. I do have to say, because like it's, our weather has just been smoke for the past several days. And so I woke up and the sky was like this, like gross yellow gray color. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like everything outside is just this gross, weird color that is very surreal. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I'm like, I kept having to remind myself, I'm like, okay, you're not actually in danger <laughs> because my body's like, you need to get into bed and like pull the covers up over your head and don't leave. Oh yeah. I would do the same thing. It sounds like a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And then it's like my, my eyes are like tripping out because like my peripheral vision is all this yellow gray like mist oh my gosh so (laughs) it's wild it's it's a wild time to be alive yeah I've never seen anything like that other than on tv you're in Portland right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I'm in I'm in Portland so um you've got we got lots of fires in every direction basically oh my goodness are your your kids doing okay with all that must be freaking out too well I mean they they got like an extra day off of school because of it. So, <laughs> so I <laughs> think like, that oh, they're just like, well, day. you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that, that is good. I'm happy they get a snow version of a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yeah. absolute opposite of snow, but it's probably the same amount of fun. Um, dang. Well, Tori, thank you so much for wanting to do this with me. I'm really, really excited. I've heard a lot about you from Kaylee and I've read various things from you on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And I'm just honored that you want to talk about this conversation. I, it's like become my favorite thing to talk about and reading some of your work has been so exciting to me because I'm like, oh, this is all the stuff that I'm interested in and want to learn about and want to like magnify and like get out there. So thank you very, very much for wanting to talk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited. Yeah. So Tori, to to start off, I'm going to ask the first question I generally ask is to describe the relationship that you have with your body. 
Um, obviously that's been a work in progress, you know, because I am a person with a female body living in the United States of America. But at this point, I feel like my relationship with my body is, um, very like kind and, and generous. And I, you know, I used to think that being cruel to my body was like the best the best choice that I had, right? Like the best way to live my life. And, you know, ever since, especially since I guess my, my youngest was born in 2015, I have been trying to make a more of a conscious effort to be kind to my body. And honestly, I did that by like learning to be kind to other people's bodies. I was raised in a very like body negative environment. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, very extremely transphobic, extremely fat phobic. And um, it was like, that was just, that was just like the norm. It was like, we have to, we have to present this image. Right. And um, so there was, there was lots of pressure, like external pressure to be like skinny and um, pretty. And, um, yeah, so I started kind of on this journey of I am going to, you know, I don't feel like I love my body, so I'm going to start appreciating other people's bodies. So um, mm -hmm. I did this kind of just as a self-experiment. Um, when I was in Hawaii uh, on vacation, I decided that every woman or, like, every person that had, like, a female presenting body who walked past me, I was going to compliment one or two things about their body, like, things that I found beautiful, attractive. Um, if I felt like their personality was just kind of radiating. Um, and it was a, such a good practice for me because I have, you have all these days and you're on the beach surrounded by people in swimsuits and um, they're real people with real bodies. And transitioning from going, like, Ew, gross! Like I have, I have belly fat because I'm like ten months postpartum, and I don't, I don't feel good about myself, and I, you know, I hate my thighs or whatever. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna like set that to the side, and I'm going to focus on appreciating other people's bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And finding beauty in like no exceptions, finding beauty in other people's bodies, and that was like such a freeing experience for me, um, and that's really led to a lot of my own personal growth and like kindness and generosity towards my bodies. I really, my body, I had to start by being kind and generous to other people. Wow. That's incredible. I've never heard anything like that before. That must've been such like a, a freeing, just a freeing practice to do. Cause there's so much shame we feel for our own bodies that we don't feel towards other people that that must be so fun in a way to kind of like explore and see just kind of the beauty and things that we'd be afraid to look at in ourselves. Right. Right. And it was, it was a great practice in like finding value in other people, regardless of like their outward appearance. Right. Yeah. Um, because ultimately like our bodies just carry us around. Right. And so mm -hmm. the ways that we're, the ways that culture tells us like, oh, your body is a reflection of your lifestyle or your values or whatever. It's like, that's so gross. And mm -hmm. to be able to completely move to the opposite of that, where it's like, your body is beautiful and valuable. That's at the end. Like, that's all, that's the entire conversation. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was, a, that was a, such a transformative step for me. Wow. Wait, when, when did that happen? When was your trip to Hawaii? Uh, so this practice that I started was in January of 2016. Okay. So it's been a little while. Yeah. Tell me about, tell me about like, uh, you said you used to have like a, a self, like, what was it you said earlier when I asked the initially what your relationship was like? You said growing up, uh, it was like praise to not like your body. Yeah, it was, there was, um, it was just kind of a body. I grew up in a very body negative environment. Um, and it was kind of, I'm trying to think here. It was just very, um, like European, like Euro Eurocentric beauty standards. Right. And mm -hmm. so it was like, which of course doesn't really work <laughs> for, for a bunch of little like black kids that doesn't work so well, but yeah. that was like, that was like, that was the model. Right. And so that was aspirationally, it was like as close as you can get to that, like, that's what we want. And so it was oh, very like, 
you know, you like have to be, you have to be skinny. And if you aren't skinny, then people are going to make comments about you. And there was lots of like comparison between like siblings, um, in terms of like, yeah, in terms of, of body comparisons, which is just not, not okay. And, um, Mm -hmm. so that was, you know, I definitely internalized a lot of that. And then also like really kind of, just I was like, well, maybe maybe the best thing to do is just to not eat, right? So um, I kind of had I kind of went through a stage in high school where I was just like, well, I'm just gonna go as long as I can without eating, oh. um, and so that was that was obviously like a really negative experience, um, but. I don't, I guess in like learning to be gentle to myself, I also have to acknowledge that, um, that wasn't something that I, that like came from me, right. That came from my surroundings. Mm -hmm. Um, that was like the message that I was receiving. And so, um, it's not something that I like fault myself for or like beat myself up for because like I was being told all, I was being given all these messages about my body that were just false. Um, yeah. And so I really had to learn as I got older, I acquired more tools and like a larger skill set um, and a different lens, right? Through which mm-hmm. to see my body and everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I was reading your blog. For those listening, Tori is an incredible writer, and I'm going to plug this at the end, but she has a lot of really insightful and beautiful, beautifully written blog posts on her website. But I was reading one earlier called The Evangelical Exhibitionist, and you were talking at the beginning about a story, I think you were nine, about looking at yourself in the mirror and you were naked and you got like in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share that? Yeah, I, I think I think I was probably eight or nine and it was just like normal. It was just like our normal bedtime routine. Like we had just like eaten, we just like eaten dinner and, um, you know, get my parents were like getting us in the bath. And um, so I'm like waiting, right? Because we have, we have one bathroom um, and I have four younger siblings. <laughs> so it's kind of a process to like get everyone through. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of like waiting around. We have this mirror on our bathroom door on the outside of our bathroom door. So I'm standing there and I like just kind of looking at myself, not doing anything. I'm just, you know, waiting. And I kind of like, I had my hip to the side and I put my hand on my hip and I was kind of just staring at myself. And my dad was like, <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I didn't understand. Like, I was like, do what? Right. Cause I had no yeah. idea what I, I had no idea what I was doing. It was just like, I'm just standing, just standing here. Um, and it was like, don't, don't ever do that again. It's like, I don't, uh, you're not telling me what I did. So I don't really know yeah. how to process this. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of a weird thing where, um, growing up evangelical, like all nudity is sexual, mm-hmm. which is a really, it's super messed up. Oh, um, yeah. right. That, that you like, a child getting ready for the bath is like a sexual thing to you is levels. Oh, that's um, messed up. I didn't even think about that. Right. And so, yeah. but it's like all sex, like all nudity is sexual all the time. Like never let anybody see you naked ever for any reason. And, um, you know, it's like you're, there's, there's, there was also the piece of like your, I'm sure we'll get to this, but it's like you're responsible for, for keeping, boys thoughts pure Mm -hmm. um and so you know there was a lot but as a as an eight or nine year old like I had no idea what I was doing and to like to be chastised like so harshly out of nowhere and then given like no further instruction on like what did I do that was wrong and uh, you know now in my 30s I can look back and go like I wasn't doing anything wrong right like I was fine um yeah it was it was a very kind of jarring experience to say the least yeah how how did you interpret that when you were younger like did you ask questions do you remember like just kind of remaining confused or did you take that as a I need to cover up or what did what do you do to respond um so you know I this is such an interesting thing because it's something I've been processing a lot lately um I didn't, I wasn't raised in an environment where I got a lot of answers from people. Um, so there were a lot of rules, right? But when, 
you know, I'm an Enneagram eight. So I would always push back and be like, okay, but why? Like, why is, why is this the rule? Why is this the best way to do things? And I very rarely received any kind of an answer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, I didn't even, I didn't even really ask any further questions about that particular experience because I, at that point I was old enough to know, like, like nobody's going to tell me anything. So I'm not even going to bother trying to like suss this out. Um, Oh, that's so hard, especially being an Enneagram eight, just for anyone, but like uh, being in that mindset, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty rough. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So what did that look like kind of moving forward? Like, cause I know later in the, in the blog, you talk about realizing you're like you call it an exhibitionist. How did Mm -hmm. you get from eight years old getting, I guess, like chastised for looking at yourself to being so confidently you and your body as far as like being proud? Um, yeah, so that was, that was kind of, obviously there was a really big process because growing up in evangelicalism and like purity culture was such a thing. And, you know, people always tried to, um, kind of get me to internalize their, their values, right. About bodies, which are bodies are sexual, bodies are bad, um, bodies, you know, we don't, we're not going to talk about bodies. We're not going to talk about like your body as it relates to God, um, or any kind of spirituality. It's just like, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be thin and pretty and be quiet basically. (laughs) Um, and yeah, there was, you know, I, I was very much like the little kid that, I mean, my mom had a bunch of, a bunch of us, but <laughs> I was very much the little kid that was always like wearing as, as little clothing as possible. Um, and you know, as I, as I got older, like and hit puberty and then there's all these like extra rules on top of the rules that you already had around like body shaming and nudity and whatever, where it's like, can't let anybody see your shoulders now. And like, can't let anybody see your bra straps. And (laughs) like, (laughs) right, right. And, and, you know, again, like that's really where they start to kind of beat you over the head with this idea of um, like, you're responsible for like any sexual thought that any like male person around you is thinking. Um, Mm -hmm. So you, you know, it's not, it's not their fault if they start to lust, it's your fault for being a temptation. And um, I mean, I always joked that I was like, this isn't, this doesn't really work for me. Um, I just never, I just never actually like took myself seriously. I was was like, well, you know, it's like modesty is really difficult for me. And Mm -hmm. I, and I, and I knew that and I could admit that Um, like there was, Modesty had no appeal to me whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I was in an environment where I basically had to, like, wear a potato sack <laughs> everywhere I went. Oh. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, it was really, it was really interesting. Like, 13, 14, 15, um, it, yeah, every, all my clothes had to be too big because I couldn't. It couldn't cause anyone to stumble and my body was a bad thing. So wow. it was like, yeah, you have to wear like big, like big, way too big sweaters, like way too big pants. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. I know it was a mess. It was such a mess. Um, it and steals so much from you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was so, it was so pointless because it didn't work right like yeah none of it stuck (laughs) and um so yeah it was always to me it was always kind of a little bit of a joke of like this this is not who I really am like I know I'm supposed to be this way because of church and whatever but like this is I don't feel comfortable like this um oh wow yeah yeah so I I was just kind of like you know I, I didn't know really what my other options were. Um, but you know, I, I didn't have a lot of control. I didn't really have any control over my wardrobe, honestly. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like my whole sort of growing up experience. And, and, you know, I didn't end up leaving, I didn't end up leaving the church until I was, you know, 30. I oh, think. wow. Yeah. So I was in for a long time. <laughs> okay. Did you just like kind of roll with it? Do you feel like you fully like 
felt passionate about it or was it just kind of felt normal to you? Um, there, a lot of it was expectation. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously, I really struggled with the like anti queer theology that was somehow fundamental to like salvation. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that, that was something that I wrestled with every single day for a decade, probably. Cause I was like, this just, this just doesn't, something about this doesn't add up to me. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but it, I kind of just, I always expected to be in, right? Like I was, you know, I joked that I was born on the pew and, um, you know, like we just, we had so many jokes. It was like the Williams are at church more often than Jesus is. And, um, that was just kind of like how we were raised. It was like, yeah, we're, we're always here. This is the only place we go. Um, and so I just kind of, it didn't even really occur to me to leave, frankly. Um, so that, that was a whole, that was a whole other kind of process. And in that process of kind of realizing I'm like, okay, I have all these values that I grew up with in church that I actually believe. And it's very apparent that the people who taught me these values don't believe them at all. So I'm just going to take the values and I'm going to go. Mm, um, I like that. But yeah, one of one of the values that I did not bring with me was modesty because I was just like, this is this is so ridiculous, and it doesn't serve anyone. Um, it doesn't make the world like a safer, healthier, happier place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, this you know, this is just it's not working for me anymore. Um, yeah. And so I'm going to let that go, along with you know, trying to f- come up with ways to like talk about how it's bad to be queer or whatever <laughs> like okay I'm just gonna let all these things go that that don't serve me and just aren't loving right this isn't yeah. how you you don't love your neighbor by saying you're going to hell God hates you oh my so <laughs> right so I, I was like okay this this doesn't serve me this is not like how this is not how I want to be in community with other people um and so I, I really kind of went through this process of like, okay, I'm just going to sort through all of these things that I was taught and take, you know, take what I feel is truly loving and kind and generous um, and leave all of the other stuff. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's what I did. And obviously that was kind of when I was like, oh yeah, like I'm totally an exhibitionist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's so cool to me. Like, what, was that a hard process for you? Like, did you struggle at all with, like, is it okay that I'm deciding this isn't, like, true for me anymore? Or was it kind of more liberating? Um, For me, it was a lot more liberating. But, again, it's, like, the whole, like, eight energy. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of, like, putting out. I was, like, okay. Um, so like, one of, one of the things that occurred to me as I was going through this process um, was that in the spaces that I had always been in traditionally, like in these evangelical church spaces, it was like, you have to cut off all of these parts of you um, in order to like fit into the box, right. To fit into the mold. Mm -hmm. Um, You cannot bring the entirety of your person into these spaces. You have to like cut off these different pieces. Um, And again, for me, as I'm like, okay, I'm going to, now rebuild my morality and ethics around harm reduction. How do I engage with this idea of like, oh yeah, you just have to like chop all of these pieces of yourself off, <laughs> leave them at the door. Yeah. Um, there's uh, this is like super super old, but one of the one of the old. Um, it's not that old, but I'm old. Um, it's <laughs> one of the old, one of the like X Men movies. There's like one of the very first scenes is there's this. Um, there's this young man and he has these like huge, beautiful wings. And like one of the first scenes is he's like trying to cut them off with like a saw. Um, and so he's like in the, because he's so ashamed of like the fact that he's a mutant and that like that resonated with me so much. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. Like this is exactly what I've had to do my whole life. Um, wow. Yeah. It was, it was, it was very, it was a very like poignant moment for me. Um, it's a powerful metaphor. Yeah, yeah, it truly was. And so I realized as I was kind of processing all of this that um, 
essentially humans are spiritual starfish, right? So the parts mm-hmm. of ourselves that we're forced to cut off in order to conform to like the, the evangelical sort of mold for our lives, like we can grow those parts of ourselves back. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like, we are, we're able to, regenerate in this really beautiful way um, that I'm, I'm so fascinated by because it's like, look, there are like, there, there you like, you're going to be for sure left with these scars, um, these spiritual scars, but you can, you're, you have the capacity to become fully yourself again, even if you were in um, a situation where previously you were not allowed to be, who you fully are. And so that was, that was like such an empowering realization for me um, that going through this process, like even though it, yeah, it was, it was definitely painful at times. um, But I was really able to stay focused on, on the fact that it was like, no, I'm just, I'm just becoming who I have always been. Mm -hmm. And that was, so that was really empowering. Wow, that's really, really encouraging for me to hear just because I get so scared sometimes that like, because I'm in a big process right now of, I guess, learning to live a life that is like very anti-purity culture and modesty culture. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I get afraid that that's those messages were so ingrained in my head that it's not possible to come out fully on the other side. Cause I see people that are so free about it. You're an example just reading your work today. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I want to be that. But there's so much internalized, just junk that was Mm -hmm. so ingrained. And so this is really encouraging to hear that. Like it is possible. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. I want to read you uh, this little quote that you put in your in your blog that was really fascinating to me because I feel like I've heard it phrased in different ways, but never really to the point like this. Um, and it kind of ties back to what you were saying maybe like five minutes ago. But you said, I was told in very different language that female exhibitionists and for men being queer was a result of experiencing sexual assault. All porn actresses have been sexually abused. All sex workers have been sexually abused. All gay people have been sexually abused. The list of victims who needed to be blamed went on forever. And then you go on to say that those aren't your opinions, to be clear, but that's messages that you've been told. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell me more about that? Because it makes me really angry reading it. And I'm like remembering hearing things like that. But just basically it, it goes along with the whole like purity and modesty culture insinuating, not insinuating, purity and modesty culture kind of instigating rape culture in a way and just really Mm. lining up with it and blaming the victim and blaming a person for any kind of abuse. That's absolutely never the victim's fault. But do you want to tell me more about, more about that? Yeah, it it was, um, again, like, (laughs) it was like the whole body negative kind of culture that I was raised in was also very, um, very committed to victim blaming. Um, and it was, it was so strange, right? Because I'm being taught all of these things about like Jesus's redemption and, um, that, you know, if you've experienced harm in some way in your life, that like the church is a safe place for you. And then at the same time, it was like, oh, nobody would, nobody would actually choose, nobody would actually like choose to be gay so clearly they got messed up because they were assaulted it was like it was this very it's this very just yeah very jarring kinds of statements um and you know like there's there's entire organizations that um (laughs) whole sidebar but i won't get into it but there's entire organizations that create like manufacture data trying to link like sexual abuse to um behavior that like white evangelical christians don't like among other things right like they just kind of generate this or manipulate data wait Um, really yeah yeah um oh my gosh you have to tell me more about that later i'm so interested now yeah no it's really interesting like the, the family research council i think is the biggest one that i know about which is um which was funded by betsy devos and eric 
Prince's parents. They were the ones that created like the fund to set that up. Um, and wow. yeah, so they were putting out all of this made up data in the nineties about how kids who grow up with queer parents are like more likely to be drug addicts and more likely to go to jail and like just more likely to have mental health issues. All of it was made up, like made up whole cloth. And they were putting this stuff out long before there was any data because it's like, okay, well we have to have like at least 10 years worth of data on like individuals in order to come to any kind of conclusion on this at all. And so in the 10 years that like actual sociologists are doing research on this, they're like pumping out all of this garbage constantly. And, um, yeah, it's extremely, it's extremely predatory and extremely malicious. Um, oh my gosh. And I was in an environment where, like, anything that came from them was, like, the same as the gospel truth. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it was just, it was this very messed up environment where people, you know, somehow, somehow, like, predators were less responsible for victimizing people than victims were and it was just it was so gross and evil um but yeah that was really that was really the environment I was raised in um and you know I I experienced it myself like as a young teen um when I was molested and then my parents decided to punish me for it um so yeah I was the one that got in trouble (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. And um it, it was just it was so strange. And again, it was one of those situations like with with the um with the standing in front of the mirror where it was like I didn't I was like, okay, can you can you tell me like what did I do? Like why is this my fault? And it was just like no and like walk out of the room. Um Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so there was I mean, I, I guess at least they practice what they preached. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to say about that. It's oh. like, oh yeah, no, that was, that was your fault. And now you're in trouble. You're going to, you're going to have a consequence for that. Um, it's just, there's so many levels of messed up. That's so messed up. I like so badly want to get to the like deepest, deepest root of where all of that came from. Like just mm-hmm. all the history. I'm so interested in this. Yeah. Like, have you ever read the book, uh, Walking the Bridgeless Canyon? Mm-mm. Oh, it's, oh, I forgot the lady's name, but she put together, um, I think her name's Cindy. I'll find out and I'll put it at the end in like the outro or something. But she okay. wrote this book that puts together all of the historical and all of the like political and scriptural and kind of like this timeline of uh, the queer movement and mm. how everything happened in politics and how everything happened um, historically, like in scripture with the different like Bible translations and yeah. like what the translation notes looked like in between the two translations of, I think it was the sixties or the seventies when they first put the word homosexuality in there. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this lady's amazing. I went to this thing a couple years ago called the queer Christian conference. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. She went to be a speaker there and she like okay. gave this whole whole presentation and she like had all these old bibles with her that we got to look at that like were so old it was i'm like a history nerd so i love this kind of stuff Mm. and it's so fascinating where these kind of messages come from and really just like how political it is Mm -hmm. and like the whole movement of which i'm super interested in of like how i I might be saying this stuff wrong so i might want to look later to make sure I'm saying it right but like there was a whole movement of like the conservative party wanting they're like how do we get the evangelicals to start voting because they weren't voting so like I know let's use abortion and let's use um being gay or queer Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. they called it at the time Um, right and it's so oh it's so messed up and it's so messed up how it's so normalized today and how that bleeds into things like rape culture and that bleeds into things like just ruining kids' lives because we grow up hearing those kind of messages and we just take it, like, at least from my experience, I just took it as truth. I didn't think that there were other options. Kind of like what you said with, like, how you dressed and stuff. That was just what you had. Right, yeah. That's so sad. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just went on, like, a rant about that. But No, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's such a good point is that, like, none of this is actually to protect 
young people or children. None of this is to protect victims. All of this is about the accumulation of power for a mm -hmm. few people in like Washington, D.C. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm the... It, like abortion is like a perfect example, but you're right. Before before it was abortion, they tried to use all all kinds of different wedge issues. Um, you know, it was like as soon as it was, as soon as it wasn't okay to be pro segregation anymore, they're like, okay, what do we do to pivot? Like, what's the issue that we're going to use? Because evangelicals were kind of split in like who they voted for because things just the political parties were very different in how they shook out. Mm -hmm. um, and so it wasn't like conservatives vote one way and and liberals vote the other. It was more like where you happen to live and like where you affiliated politically. So if you oh, lived in wow. the South, it was very different from like if you lived in the Northeast or like in the West. Um, yeah. So the the like the political parties were not at all what they are today. But oh, it is really. That. Yeah, it's very fascinating. There was there were lots of kind of there were lots of huge shifts like from kind of the the like mid mid late fifties through the sixties. There were a lot of huge like shifts that kind of happened. Um, Dang! But then once um, once the Supreme Court ruled on Roe versus Wade. Um, that was kind of like, oh, okay, well, we can we can use this issue now and get people to kind of rally around this banner of like we're saving babies from murder. But at the same time, it's like, okay, so what about all the babies who are born? Like, what what then? Because <laughs> mm -hmm. okay, you, you maybe okay, so you saved a baby from being murdered. Good job, you. But like, <laughs> you're also actively trying to slash every single like social safety net that that child's mother could potentially have access to. So like, what about this is pro-life? So I think that it's really interesting that you kind of tied in the pol the political piece because none of it is about people. None of it is about protecting babies. <laughs> like, yeah. None of it is about abortion. It's all about power. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, I wish I knew. Ugh, there's this, I think it was like a tweet or something that I saw and I wish I knew exactly what it said right now because it was kind of just calling out the hypocrisy in people who are for pro-life and how they're responding to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it's like the irony in that and just the exposure of what their actual intentions are is so clear. Right. And it just makes me so angry, Tori. I'm so pissed about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, just out of my own genuine curiosity, mm -hmm. uh, you said there was a big shift in the political, like how everything happened. I've recently became really interested because growing up, I would tuned it all out because my parents are like crazy conservatives, Fox mm. News 24 7. So I was like, I don't yeah. hear any of it. Yeah. But lately, I'm like, oh, I want to know everything. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have like a way of explaining, I guess, like in summary, and if you don't, it's totally fine, but kind of like what happened in the 50s that were made because you said before like originally how they voted was by where they lived yeah yeah so it was a lot more about um where you lived so um and a lot of it was a, a lot of it was because segregation gave um legislators in the south this massive well i guess it was jim crow really um so the fact that um black people in the south were unable to vote by and large, you know, it was like mm -hmm. one, two, three percent of black people um, were able to vote in states like Mississippi and South Carolina, where the majority of the population was black. So you had this delegation of Southern states that um, th like every, there were kind of, there were like these kind of legacy seats, right? In the Senate and congressional seats where, they like nobody could get these people out of power. And so they would all kind of consolidate their political power. And, and so these were Democrats in the South. So there were conservative Democrats in the South who were trying to keep Jim Crow kind of as the law of the land. Right. So their mm -hmm. whole thing was like, 
we need states' rights to because, you know, we have this quote-unquote Negro problem, and you people in the North, you don't have this problem, so you don't know what it's like. Um, so we have to make sure that we can preserve our way of living. Um, or our way of life. So this is this is almost verbatim what they what they said. And if people want to read more about it, um, a really great book is "When Affirmative Action Was White" by Ira Katz Nelson. It's super short, but he digs into a lot of the policies and a lot of the politics mm-hmm. of this this time period. Um, so essentially, you had these like the southern southern states. You had. I'm trying to remember how many senators it was, but it was um, it was something like 14, 16, 18, I think, senators of these southern states. And so they could they functionally could block any legislation that they felt was too um, progressive towards people of color. Um, so they had this they just like would cons- they consolidated their power and also like no one could really run against them because they were so entrenched politically. Um, and so it was like, they were never going to lose their Senate seats. Right. And so they, these, this group of people, the Southern Democrats would go to DC and they kind of dictated for nearly a hundred years, essentially, um, you know, every, every piece of legislation that got passed had to, they had to approve it, right? Because as soon as they're like, we're not, we're walking away from this discussion, it was like they didn't, nobody had enough votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of weird because it was like you had, um, you know, you had these liberals and progressives um, kind of scattered throughout the country, um, people who were like pro-union and, and pro-integration and whatnot, but they weren't really divided up by like, if you're a liberal or a progressive, you're a Democrat. Like it just didn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, people kind of tended to be like, okay, well, this is my family. Or if there was a hot button issue, like um, women's suffrage, right. Then people would be like, oh, okay, I'm going to align myself on like this one particular issue with this one particular party. Um, and then, so yeah, what happened kind of in the fifties and sixties, um, obviously with integration and the voting rights act, um, that was really, you know, once, once, almost everyone had access to the ballot box. I think it wasn't until the 1970s, actually, that indigenous Americans like fully had a right to vote in every single state, which is so messed up. Um, I know this country is such a mess. It's such a mess. (laughs) Get us off. I know. I know. But um, so after that, like the breakdown was very, um, it was a lot more polarized, right? Because like the Republicans had, had their, had their guy, um, Barry Goldwater, who was like, yeah, segregation, let's do it. Every state. And, and he yeah. got like, he got shot down, thankfully, okay, cool. but, <laughs> but, but black people were like, oh, okay. So if that's what you're going with, we're going with the Democrats, like whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, during this process, a lot of Southern Democrats then also began switching, party affiliation to become Republicans, right? Because they were like, oh, yes, we agree on, with you on this issue of segregation. Huh. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was, kind of, it was a very interesting process, and I did a, a, that, that was an incredibly ham-fisted explanation, um, attempted an explanation, but, um, that's yeah. That's fascinating. What did you I say? know, I know. Oh, uh, the book is called When Affirmative Action Was White, okay. and so it talks about all of these Um, really big pieces of legislation that were passed, um, the New Deal and like the GI Bill and the way that um, this group of senators like over the decades were like, okay, you know, we, we get to call like the final shots on this. Um, And so these, these pieces of legislation, as I'm sure, you know, like left out people of color, left out, you know, black veterans, Mm -hmm. um, and it was because of the way that the legislation was written. It just, people couldn't access it. Um, and so, yeah, but that was like, segregation was really like the wedge issue of the time. And then after that became illegal, they had to find something else. And then, you know, several years later, Roe v. Wade came along because that was in the seventies, but that became like, the issue where they're like, we're going to save the babies. <laughs> we're going to save the babies. That'll fix it. Well, and it was like, 
like that. Yeah, that's very cause saving babies yeah. is extremely compelling. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. So I'll give emotional. you that. And right in terms of like marketing, like that's solid. Mm-hmm. But um, very like, convincing. After after the baby is born, like eh, not really, not really so into that. Oh. Mm-hmm. Forget that. <laughs> then you're right. on your own. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it was. It was really interesting, though, kind of the way that, because, yeah, evangelicals were not, like, all conservative at the time. They kind of, like, split depending on where they lived. Um, okay. Right? So, so people that we would consider evangelicals today, like, in retrospect, so I don't even know if they called themselves this back then, that were in the South, like, they, yeah, originally they were Democrats, right? Because mm-hmm. it was, like, Southern way of life and states' rights, and we need to, you know things are different here. Um, so yeah, it took, it took a while because it was a while between like the voting rights act and, and Roe versus Wade. It was a couple of years. It might've even been 10 years. Um, yeah. So they were kind of floundering for a while, but then they, you know, then they realized it was like abortion. And so they, they used other things. It was like abortion, like taking prayer out of schools was another one that they were kind of like, this is just like a sign that our civilization is, on the verge of collapse. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I remember my dad talking about that when I was little. Mm-hmm, <laughs> he was so mm-hmm. mad about it. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and it had been, what's so funny is like people were so mad about the whole prayer in schools thing. Like in the 90s, it had been 25, 30 years since prayer was <laughs> taken out of school. Oh my God. And Let's everybody get was mad about this now. <laughs> I know. And everybody was like, everyone was still saying the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. Yeah. Like, I, I don't even know why you were so upset. <laughs> oh my anyway. That's a, that's a whole, whole other thing. Uh, Christians being persecuted. Yes. <laughs> that's what yes, it is. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's exactly. The persecution. Yes, poor Christians, man. They're mm-hmm. so persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Goodness gracious story. This is so, so interesting to me. I feel like I just got like a whole new passion to read a million books on this exact topic. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's super interesting. I, I recommend reading up on it. And it makes so much sense because it's like, I guess that answers, because I've always wondered, I mean, other than like the really big obvious reasons, like it's always been interesting to me how still today, most Southern states are on the Republican Party and most Northern are Democrat. I've always like wanted to know all the details behind all that. So this is really cool information. Um, Yeah. So my, I guess I totally, I totally put us on a detour which was really really interesting but kind of <laughs> kind of going back to what we were talking about before yeah so now now you you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast how you've three boys uh two oh, i have two, two boys two boys okay and you mentioned yeah. something about how um or maybe I read this in a blog, but you said something about how you are intentional about being body positive and whatnot because of your, or partially because of your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and just like kids pick up on the ways that we talk about our bodies. And I think especially with boys, I think somehow like they very much pick up on the way that women talk about their bodies and the way that other men talk about women's bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to be kind of very cognizant of the fact that like one, there's not like a gender binary. So that's like, we can get rid of that, right? Like some people are boys, some people are girls, some people are neither, some people are both. It's okay. Like mm-hmm. whatever someone, you know, however someone like however their body tells them to be like that's that's what they are right it's not like your parts make you this thing it's mm-hmm. like your brain because gender is in your brain um i don't i don't quite get i don't get into the neuroscience of it with them but i absolutely get into like the part about like gender expression mm. um and you know being very clear about because kids in turn again we live in a society where there is a gender binary there is a man's restroom and a woman's restroom yeah um and kids kids aren't dumb like they're very bright they pick up on things very quickly and so I feel like as a mom I have to be very um vocal about the fact that yes just because we live in a society where things are kind of divvied up among two genders doesn't mean that like that's how it is, um, and you know it's kind of it's kind of the same thing with like 
oh, that's, you know, that's a, that's a girl's toy or, you know, that's like girl's clothes. And, um, it's like, well, no, if so, it's not clothes are clothes. Like if someone wants to wear the clothes and they, they enjoy them, like that's who the clothes are for. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, little things like that. Um, and I, you know, I, I do try to be super, super body positive with my kids about, you know, about their bodies, about other people's bodies, because, and, and again, like they pick up on like, they pick up on all kinds of fat phobia, right? Mm. That I'm just like, I don't even know where this came from because I, like, I, I never go around going, like, I don't even, I don't even say the word fat, it, you know, to describe someone because it, it isn't really relevant to anything that I would be telling my children, but somehow they're like, Oh, being fat is bad. And they like make these connections. So it's like, Nope. Okay. Going back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Sit down. We got work to do. <laughs> it was like bodies, bodies are good. Everybody's body is different and everybody's body is good. That's at the end. Like if we could keep talking about this, it was like, Nope, we're not making these connections of like, fat is bad or queer is bad or gender non-conforming is bad. I'm like, we're not, we're not doing that. So like, we're going to sit down, like draw the line right yeah. here. Um, because again, like they're so inundated with like, yeah, the gender binary and, and fat phobia and transphobia and queer phobia. And so it's like, okay, nope. Got to be super, super intentional um, about the way that we talk about other people's bodies. Um, we were in, this was before the pandemic, obviously, but I was, I was at Target with my kids and we like turned down this aisle and there was this young man who was stocking shelves and he had this huge Afro and, um, my youngest, he goes, wow, look at his hair. And I was like, I know it's so cool. Right. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it is. It was, it was just really interesting. Cause it wasn't like, I mean, obviously like afros are beautiful, but like, that's not a super common hairstyle in Portland, like at all, yeah. just cause it's, it's so like rainy and humid here that it just doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> oh, no. so it's like, there's a lot more protective hairstyles in Portland for, for <laughs> black folks. Um, but yeah, it was just like, yep. Super cool. Isn't it? And, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, trying to like, also be aware of like people with disabilities, you know, and, and, disabilities that are visible versus disabilities that aren't visible and how those are both valid. And so, um, I do try to be really explicit and maybe even a little over the top about being body positive with my kids, because again, like this is just, we live in a society that isn't, and they internalize that unless we're actively speaking against it. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I'm a really big believer in that. I mean, like, what book was it? Oh, do you like Glennon Doyle at all? Yeah, yeah. She she talks a lot about that as far as, like, kids look at their mom, or, like, the best way to, like, love their kids when she was talking about, like, deciding to stay in her marriage or not. Mm -hmm. And then she had this realization when her daughter asked her if she could do her hair like hers that she's like, I... I'm staying in this marriage for my daughter, but what I want this marriage for my daughter. And it was this whole thing oh, about yeah. like, yeah, like showing them what love is versus like shutting them on themselves down and stuff. And it's like, I don't know. I'm just imagining like remembering when I was a kid and how much I like looked at my mom and dad, like we all do to like, give me an example of like what it is to be a woman, what it is to be kind mm -hmm. yeah. and not even just like listening to what they were saying, but watching what they would do. And yeah. those comments of like fat phobia and homophobia and sexism and racism and all those things that we see kids take as normal. And mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. I thought that was really, really cool what you said of just, just the concept of being like outwardly and verbally and intentionally body positive and all the other things you're saying around your kids so they could see that as the norm. So that's not like work they have to do later to learn, oh, this is normal, but that's just how they're raised by their mom. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of research that shows that parenting 
or caregiving even, right? Because it's not just like parents aren't the only adults in a child's life, but any kind of caregiver, teacher, educator, um, mentor, like this is like such a protective, like insulating force for kids so that when they are in situations where someone does try to body shame them, right? Where someone does try to bully them, when they have been in these environments where they've constantly been filled up with this affirmation of like your body is is good right and your joy is good and your pleasure is good like when they when kids intern when anyone internalizes that like it's such a protective measure against like all the negativity that just gets thrown at us because you know we're human and people are jerks and people have bad days and you know there's jealousy and anger and and all these different things at play that we don't necessarily know about but Mm -hmm. um I love the fact that you know we can like doing this work it actually it actually matters and it helps kids get through like these kind you know like middle school is kind of a crummy time for everybody (laughs) and so like you're giving your kid like such an advantage to be positive and affirming with them. Um, not just with them, but like in this family, we are positive and affirming with everybody, right? Like mm-hmm. regardless of what people believe, like we want, we want everybody to have enough food, like doesn't matter what their politics are. Um, and, and just kind of navigating that way. It's very, it's such a protective and like insulating force against any kind of negativity, negativity that they experience. Yeah. That's so great. So, so great. Tori, I have two more questions for you. Yeah. Um, the first question is I was reading, I think it was your most recent blog post or maybe like one of your most recent ones, but you were talking Mm -hmm. about what you're doing right now to take care of your mental health. Um, Mm. Do you want to give like a few examples for people listening of like things they could be doing just because it's like, as we've mentioned a million times, just in general, like it's such an insane time in the world right now um, that I've been really interested to hear what people are doing to kind of care for themselves in that and care for their relationship with themselves and their bodies and just the whole thing. But what are, what are some things that have been really helpful for you recently? Um, okay. So I'm a, I'm a really avid hiker. So I, you know, living in the Pacific Northwest, I have no shortage of places to go hiking. So, um, and again, like that's a very kind of like data driven, not, not that I hike because of data. Like I actually hike for spiritual reasons, which is funny cause I'm not a spiritual person, but, um, there's a lot of data behind like spending time in green spaces, um, in terms of, again, like being kind of a protective force against like the negativity that we experience just in our day-to-day lives, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, protecting our mental health. So that is, that's something that's really important to me. Um, getting enough sleep, I think that's something we so undervalue in this society. <laughs> and, yes. Um, so yeah, like getting enough rest. Like I know for me that like, honestly, like I need about eight and a half hours a night. Um, and so making sure that I prioritize rest, um, like actual rest, not like just sitting on my phone all night, but like actually going to sleep and like resting. Um, mm. That's that's something that I that is really important for me for protecting my my mental health as well. Um, I mean, like, I don't know. I guess I feel like there's there's lots of there's lots of little things that I mean, like, I think that like logging off of social media and and reading a book or listening to a book, um, like, that's just it's so it's it's nice to like be able to kind of unplug and have like something else to process yeah um that doesn't you're not getting notifications from your book right you mm-hmm. can just kind of like unplug from that for a minute um so that's that's something that I have really really been valuing um and then like I think that pro- probably the biggest the thing that has like the biggest positive impact for me in terms of mental health is working out. Um, so I just try to do like whatever I can do. Um, it's not at all a, um, like I have to do this thing and I'm going to like beat myself up if I don't get to Like, I don't, I don't, I don't roll that way at all. Um, it's very much like 
I view it as an investment, right? In my mental health for the rest of the day. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to get up. I'm going to make this investment in myself um, so that I have a little bit more productivity without like my brain like turning on me. Um, My newest one actually is cold showers. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. So there's, there's uh, a little bit of research coming out on like the potential benefits of cold showers for, uh, especially for people with anxiety and depression and like traumatic brain injuries. Um, so I'm, I've been super fascinated by that. So I've, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing. I'll send you, I'll send you, um, a link. Um, but yeah, so I try to do, um, I try to do like three to eight minutes cold shower, which is, very tough so what my, my trick is that I listen to music um and I just kind of dance in the oh, cold <laughs> and that, that like that like helps you it helps you power through because if you're just standing there you're just gonna be like nope I'm done I'm out <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. if you're like moving around you can like mentally get into a place where it it's not torture right so that's that's my newest addition that's awesome dang I love all that I'm excited to read that that article. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Tori, this is all so, so good, especially the sleep thing. I need to be way more intentional about sleep. That is definitely something we don't value enough. Today. Yeah. It's so, and it's so hard too, right? Cause it's like, yeah. there's so much FOMO everywhere all the time, even in a pandemic. And so, I know. <laughs> oh and so it's like, yeah, it's, it's, that's one that I really have to fight for, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, Terry, I have one last question for you, and it's a bit of a change of pace from everything else, so bear with me here. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think I just asked this on Instagram yesterday, so I'm, I might ask it the same. We'll see what happens when I start talking. But okay. <laughs> would you rather? would you rather everybody in the world get will have to rollerblade everywhere that they go for transportation. Like if it's to get up to go to the bathroom, if it's to go to a coffee shop, if it's to go to the grocery store, they've got to be on rollerblades all the time. Mm -hmm. And they kind of get used to it. Like it seems weird kind of right now to think of that's just my transportation, but they really get used to it. But you are the only one that's not allowed to rollerblade. So you get to do normal transportation, but you don't get to join in in the rollerblading ever. Okay. Or every time you listen to music, it is... 12-year-old Hillary Duff singing. No matter what song it is, it's going to be 12-year-old Hillary Duff. Um, okay, so I do have one clarifying question before I answer. <laughs> do, is the music always playing or do I get to turn it on and off? No, you can turn it on and off. Like what oh, okay. Normally oh, I would, ab- I would absolutely choose Hillary Duff. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like even like a Queen song or like... Oh my gosh! Going on, just um, no, just Hillary Duff forever, man. I oh, she's I so cute. It. Oh my gosh! Um, Lizzie McGuire for life. I know. Oh my gosh, I know. So cute. Um, yeah, like I don't know. I think it would be really. I don't think I would be in a good mental place if I was the only person who was not allowed <laughs> to rollerblade. I would feel really left out. Um, so I think that yeah, I think that I would have to go with with Hillary Duff on that. Oh my god. Cuz she's got, you know, she's got some jams. She's definitely she's got, some got some jams. <laughs> oh yeah. She's definitely got jams. I would definitely pick the same one. I think I asked this to someone the other. Oh, it was to Kaylee and she was like she was like, "Well, can I like do a different kind of rolling sport? Can I like <laughs> can I roller skate?" And I'm like, that's a loophole. Yes, you can roller skate. And oh, so, right, because it's like any other kind of transportation. Yeah, but no, yeah. like, but you're left out of the rollerblading. You're still left out, yeah, right? I love rollerblading, so I had an issue with that, and I was like, "All right, I don't know about this." <laughs> oh my gosh, Tori, you are amazing, and I am super, super excited about this conversation, and cannot wait till the day when things calm down, so we can actually meet and hang out in person, real time. Yay, me too. I know that you have a lot of really cool work that you do. Do you want to tell people how they can find you, how they can... Oh, oh, I wanted to plug your white homework, which you may or may not have said after I asked that question, but do you want to quickly tell a little what that is and how people can find it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So white homework started because I had a lot of people asking me, um, like they, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm learning about racism and anti-racism. I'm like reading more history. Like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, well, uh, that depends. And I don't have time to go and get coffee with you three times over the next two months. So (laughs) I'm going to like pull together this resource. You can take it. You can do the work yourself. And then 
when you get to the end, you can figure out what you are supposed to do, like what you have the margin for and like where places you have privilege. Cause again, like not everybody has the same or equal kinds of privilege. And, um, so I just created that like as a resource for folks, um, honestly, mainly to save time for myself, but yeah. <laughs> it ended up like working out that people actually were able to, to find it valuable. So, um, I have that. So, uh, white homework is a podcast. Um, you can find more information. It's just whitehomework.com. Um, super easy. Um, I'm using my Patreon to pay rent for, um, a family of color for a year. So that's what we're doing right now. So oh, if people wow. want to sign up, that'd oh, be super that. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was kind of trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, what do I want to like use my platform for? Right. Cause I'm like, I don't, you know, I, pre- I appreciate that like people want to support me, but like once my bills are paid, like I'm, I'm fine. And so, um, I was like, okay, well just like, we're just going to sponsor a family every year. So That's we so are current. Cool. So currently, um, paying rent for a family of three generations. They're a black family. They live in um, DC and um, yeah, so we are sponsoring them for the rest of the year. So if people want to find out more about that, again, it's just whitehomework.com, super easy. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Um, the white homework accounts are just at white homework. And then my personal account is at Tori glass. So. Okay. Yeah. And that's T O R I T O R I. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really excited. I want to go look more into your Patreon page. I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah. Um, Well, cool. Tori, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk and to share your story and to share your knowledge and everything. I had so much fun talking with you. I know. This is so amazing. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, absolutely. I will talk to you and hopefully see you soon in the next yeah. like, decade. But yeah, yes, for you, sure. You for have sure. A, a wonderful rest of your day and stay safe over there with all of the craziness. Yes, I will. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Bye.